Welcome to the Danger Room, a place to prepare for the opponents you are yet to face. We discuss strategy and how to level up your game in Marvel Crisis Protocol. We will have our Xavier Protocol segment, some hot takes discussing something new and shiny, and our main topic of the week. We would like to begin by thanking you, the listener, for giving us your time to listen to our opinions of the game. On the podcast, we have Jacob, Sploosh, and myself, Dizzard. Today's segment of Xavier Protocols, I'm sure you all will enjoy. Jacob, what do you have for us today? So this week, I thought rather than talk about maths, I might give you a bit of an update about the list that I'm probably best known for, which is my Wakanda Wave list. Uh, I've been playing it and dojoing it and thinking about it, and it has evolved a little bit. The big thing, I guess, is that uh, Doc Ock has come out and uh, Spider Ghost Spider has come in. Uh, there's a couple of reasons for that. Firstly, she's a little bit faster with that long move and although she's got the smaller base that is still a bit further and still has wall crawler uh the main big reason though is that her um opponent redeployment shenanigans her her web line comes online in round one if you do um impact webbing uh that'll generate a power so she has the two power she needs in order to webline someone uh compare that with doc ock typically um he'd need at least it'd be at least round two probably round three before doc ock got his throw online which although it's a more powerful because it's omnidirectional early access to gwen's web line i think is much more valuable the third thing she brings is lifesaver one of the big problems the list has is if someone uh tries to out attrition it and lifesaver can just help with that whole issue um the other big change is that I'm not trying to force it. I'm not building my roster around forcing it anymore. Instead, what I'm doing is um, focusing much more on using it reactively. If I don't have priority and someone gives me secures to choose, then I'll be um, then I'll be considering dropping it. And it might not be at 15, but it might uh, it might it's possible that I get chosen. And if anything, it might force my opponent off 15. So actually, I found I'm playing it a lot less. The one time I will still look to force it is if I look at my opponent's roster and they can't make a five person 15 threat list. If that's the case, then uh, I'll happily force it. The reason for that is the, the biggest thing you can do against it is to have five people and deny them that last activation for as long as possible. Uh, the reason that's so important is it's this it's this control game where you're trying to push people off the, the gamma shelters. And if you get to move back on as the last action or you get to go with your Shuri or character that's got a throw or a push, then that can completely undo the work that I've been doing with the list. So uh, if I don't see five characters opposite me, that's when I'll, I might try and force it. An interesting thing though, is you can make a very, very similar list in Web Warriors using Miles, Venom, Ghost Spider, Shuri and Okoye. Plays very, very similarly, has a very similar game plan. Um, and it has the added bonus that you've got, uh, the only time you ever really used the Wakandan leadership for rerolls was on defense. And the Web Warriors get the defensive reroll for free, plus the ability to reroll skulls, which is always useful when you've got Shuri hanging around. So the, the, the big downside there is you're not getting Wakanda forever. And that card can be like a two, three, or sometimes even four victory points just from playing that one card. So it's uh, I've, I've moved on a little bit, but uh, I think there might be a, a new iteration doing the rounds in Web Warriors before too long.
All right. Um, so, yeah, I, I, just a comment on that. It's I really like Gwen, and I think she's actually a really good fit over Doc. I think when she first came out, we kind of talked about this at the sidebar. And I just, I just want to say, like, I think Gwen's an absolute perfect slot into there to replace Doc. So, I'll yeah. just mention uh, impact webbing. You might get a push too by pure luck, and then not have to use any power on her first attack. Yeah, absolutely true. So, under our hot takes today, we're going to be talking about the kingpin. Jacob, what are your initial thoughts of kingpin? So the thing that jumped out and grabbed me was that leadership. Um, and I still haven't quite got my head around all the implications and applications yet, but it's a complete game changer. Uh, it just completely alters the way you play the game. And I think it's not going to be unusual to see the criminal syndicate potentially scoring four victory points in round one, just on secures. I think that's going to might even be their game plan. So it, everything else kind of pales in comparison around that. Um, it, he's got a throw. I always love it when they when uh, characters have throws, and it's uh, terrain or character, which is fantastic. And it only costs two. Uh, you only have to look at Captain Marvel to see what a three cost throw can do to make a character less appealing. Yeah, I think I love Kingpin. Uh, just seeing his character, uh, the the criminal syndicate affiliation, just his general st stats and his attacks and all the everything he comes with. I really want to play him in foes. I think he's really going to be a piece that they've been missing. Um, and then Criminal Syndicate as well. I'm I'm really looking forward to making a Criminal Syndicate slash Spider-Foes roster. I think that's going to be a lot of fun to play with because, in my opinion, I think the Criminal Syndicate affiliation and Spider-Foes, like within the characters and the affiliation bonuses that you can get with each, I think they complement each other really well and play both sides of the low game and the high game um, differently than each other. That, so I'm I'm really looking forward to getting him and putting him on the table and seeing what I can come up with. Just along the same lines that you mentioned, I I think he's great. Oh, I would say that maybe a counter pick, kind of like a uh, kryptonite of this guy and his affiliation is the deadly meteors. I'm sure you guys have seen the talk around about how his ability doesn't work when you're trying to interact with the origin bombs. Have you guys heard that? Yeah, no, that's that's very true because I, I was actually part of that discussion um, because of the wording itself. It's who's securing and you got to secure the objective first. Like So like your healthy doesn't count towards you. Um, like, like one character doesn't count for two if your opponent's trying to control the, the meteor. Um, so yeah, no, it's, it's a very interesting conversation. I, he doesn't, I'd agree with that. I think meteors is actually a counter pick just because either the person you're playing doesn't quite know that, or like, it's, it's just a normal, Hey, whose energy defense is better and who's got more characters, your typical meteor stuff. He doesn't add a benefit to meteors. Yeah. So just one last thing, maybe on the illicit network is it is too power to hand off an asset or citizen, which is a decent amount considering you're probably spending a power to get the asset in the first place. So maybe as the guardians are really cool with Kingpin for having like a quick handoff. Um, you know, yeah, you I kind of, situations. Yeah, go ahead. I kind of see that as the, the, the less good part of the ship. Maybe I'm going to be wrong on that. Uh, where I'm coming at this from is uh, I love that Crossbones has got a new affiliation with him. That's fantastic. But I can really see that there is a, a shape of a team, which is just beef. 
So you can go for Kingpin, you go for maybe Venom, someone like that. You go for maybe Black Dwarf, you go for Crossbones. Maybe someone like Black Panther, who's that fast but durable character who can reach out and, and they can be on the, the, the opponent's close one on like the D-map. Um, so you've got, you're going for durability as your primary focus. The reason for that is the um, counting double only applies to healthy characters. So you want people that are hard to take onto their injured side. Uh, I also think there's gonna, people are going to be packing a lot of field dressing and healing cards with them as well. And maybe, um, you know, extremists where you've got the ability to interact and heal, maybe that's going to become a favored crisis for them. I can see that it's it, it like going to that aspect of it. It almost makes criminal syndicate almost the, uh, the miserable meat mountain of Marvel crisis protocol. Sure. Uh, you can get that. That's a war machine reference to yeah, the troll list, which forever to destroy. It was just all of the boxes and all of the defensive tech and just was, yeah, you had to wade through huge amounts of models. Yeah, I mean, if somebody's, let's say someone gets Kingpin down to one health left, which is not easy considering he has seven on both sides, I could see you activating him and then just double move handing off a token. And you would have the power because you just got your face beat in, you know? So now you're sort of making another mountain relevant, right? So imagine having a citizen and going from Kingpin to Black Dwarf. Like, how frustrated is your opponent? Mm. Yeah. I, I, one one thing which might get slightly overlooked on Kingpin is he's definitely in the running for the slowest character in the game. <laughs> I mean, I think that would go to Crossbones, but then he's got his uh, ability to move when he t when he gets attacked, and that can really speed him up. Whereas Kingpin is is fifty mil base and short, but he doesn't have any ability like Venom does to pull people in to get his attacks. His he does have a beam three, but it's only four dice uh, and it doesn't generate power. Uh, and it doesn't have any cool uh, abilities on it. So it's, it's. Mm, I can see that he's going to feel like he might be the slowest character in the game. Well, it does ignore line of sight and, and cover. So That's true. You get really That's cute true. with buildings and trucks and stuff. Yeah, no, I can. Uh, it, it's not useless. Um, but when you compare it to just the fact that Venom's uh, builder attack uh, is range three and causes bleed, for example, um, it just means that those those slow characters, he's gonna he's gonna feel harder to get the attacks you want to be making off. I think. Yeah, I agree with you on this. Like, if someone's playing Shuri, I, I find it hard to believe that you wouldn't be targeting Kingpin every time. You know, it's it just unfortunately that's just his super weakness, and we don't know these tactics cards. I predict Kingpin will have some crazy tactics cards. Uh, you know, being, you know, a syndicate leader and a guy known for using money for absurd things. I I'm sure there'll be some really cute tactics cards that are attached to him. And we've definitely learned, you know, with Ghost Rider not to underestimate the impact tactics cards can have. Uh, so we'll see, right? I mean, Kingpin could have like a lethal protector type card or something just, for all we sure. know, he has mothership. I mean, he could have all kinds of wackiness, right? So we'll have to see. I think one other thing that's worth mentioning is the herb game that Criminal Syndicate's going to have. Uh, just being able to play Hot Potato with the herb. Um, I, you can see some really early game scoring on that, and it makes herb really a, uh, a more, op more 
reliable option for them, in my opinion. Are you realistic? Yeah, realistic, I guess the best way to put it. <laughs> Still not simple, is it? Because you need to have, so round one, you have one, mm -hmm. uh, one power of the herb. You need two power on round two in order to then pass off the herb. Um, and you are only going to get like power off a builder attack if your opponent gives you someone to attack with that person. So may maybe what you need there is a mobile but long-range character, maybe someone like Iron Man, who can go and get it. He's reasonably durable with his damage reduction, and he's got a range four builder. So mm -hmm. maybe he's going to be able to get that second power. Or someone like, um, I think this is probably an awful idea, but someone like Shuri, who's got a guarantee to get a power from making an attack, and that's at range five. I think that's a really weird use for Shuri, but it's possibly not awful, apart from the fact that she just crumples as soon as you look at her. Yeah. What about Hella? I just, Hella? Uh, I could see. She's got the power gain and she moves far enough, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I could see Hella potentially. I think, I think it'll be just interesting to see what people do as far as trying to make it work. Because, you know, like with that leadership ability, like people are going to think maybe it is possible to really score on this reliably. And just the crazy list we're going to start seeing come because of that leadership ability. I have a question. I mean, the downside is it's still vulnerable to the I just push or throw you off the altar. Yeah, uh, absolutely. My last time. Um, but. I guess the upside is you are committing many fewer resources. You're just committing power rather than tactics cards. Because a lot of these crazy herb plays require like two tactics cards. Yeah. So we there's the, four the, characters we don't know with cr criminal syndicate, but do you guys see this guy being played out of affiliation? So uh, I. Well, Oh, sorry. Uh, so for me, I don't see him outside of Syndicate and outside of Foes. I think he belongs there, and I think he attributes to the affiliate or affiliation rather. Um, I think that's where he wants to be. I think he might have some play outside of it, but I don't see it right now. I'd have to get him on the table and see how he interacts with that. Um, but I, I see him playing pretty much solely within affiliation, just because of the other four threat options you have. Can see a build in like an Asgard list if you wanted um, that kind of durable, stay the course kind of Asgard. You know, he's got good defenses, four three three, and he's got seven stamina plus damage reduction that he can pay for, and he's got a throw, so he's still able to do some useful stuff um, as well as his attacks. So I think maybe there's there's something to be explored there, but I don't know if he's the best option in that situation. Yeah. So maybe I, I I don't see it, but he is ridiculously durable. He's like what fourteen health with the super, you know, intense physical conditioning, which works on a lot of things. It works on cubes. If you, I believe the ruling is if you're holding like two cubes, you can use it twice as well. Uh, yep, each each instance of cube is its own source of damage. Yeah. So having him and crossbones together is kind of funny to me. I, I think it's cute and. I could see playing crossbones and kingpin in affiliation and playing cubes and just kind of laughing at the fact that you're not dying and everyone else is. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's about all I really have to with this guy. He's, I I think his tactic cards are going to be crazy, and I want to see what they are first. Uh -huh. Yeah, and I, the, think I think they're going to be interesting. The affiliation specific ones as well. They're going to be key to the viability of the affiliation.
Yeah. So today's episode is going to be a little bit different. We're going to focus on some quick little tips and tricks on how to improve your game. Uh, so I think something worth hitting on is doing proper math and calculations for your power needed. For example, do I really need to spend this power to reroll? Uh, sometimes I have seen and done myself where I'll spend the power to reroll. And then after I do that, I realize, oh, I didn't even need to. The character was going to be dazed or KO'd regardless of me spending that power. And then it's just wasted power. Um, and something else that comes into play with this is calculating your power needed for like your wombo combos. Like, I need to play this cat tactic card to go into this attack, to go into this superpower, to finish off with interacting with the objective. And then sometimes you'll get to the objective and be like, oh, I'm short of power now because I didn't have enough to do it. So it's like calculating your power to be able to do the things you actually want to do and making sure you have enough of it, I think is a really good uh, tip to just integrate into your game plan to just always make sure you're doing whenever you're about to do something. Uh, I just... I'm not sure if I want to add anything to that or not, the habit. I don't know, Jacob, did you want to add anything to that? Um, no, I think it's, I think we're going to do an episode at some point about power spending and the sort of decisions of when to spend power and when not to spend power. Um, I think particularly spending power on spender attacks is something that you need to think about probably more than you are. And I think that's probably universally true. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I would just comment that um, I personally, and I'm not saying everyone has to do this, but I always try to think of worst case scenario. So if you have this idea in your head that you're going to, you know, do a power gaining attack and then get three power off of it, uh, maybe that's unrealistic and you should expect to maybe get one or maybe even none and then have a plan for that. Because um, you don't want to like start your whole train of actions and then realize it's not going to work out midway through it. Well, so the next tip uh, is don't be lazy, uh, which, oh man, that's a tough one. So I, I watch people play and I watch myself play all the time. And something I notice a lot is when people are doing what they see as an inconsequential move, they kind of just throw, I'll give you an example. So when someone is securing something, they have to measure range one, to, to make sure obviously they're within the secure, but they'll kind of just plop their character down like right on top of the secure. And they're just like, okay, I'm here. Where maybe they had an option to place their character anywhere on that secure, you know, front, back, left, right. And I've seen games that are decided on these kind of decisions that seem unimportant. Uh, and that's where don't be lazy comes from. Uh, you know, think of worst case scenarios. Think of best case scenarios think of just what do, what is this character going to do this turn what is this character going to worry about this turn what does this character need to do next turn what might this character need to do next turn you know you got to run through the decision trees and really think about those things don't just place your character because you know i could give a million examples and i'm sure the people listening maybe have experienced this where they uh I uh, actually I saw a game rec um, just a few days ago in the re in the league it was and uh the the player had to choose where to place uh like an extract and they kind of just plopped it in the middle of all their characters and then because of that decision uh one of their characters unexpectedly got dazed and they had another character down at the bottom of the board and that character could have double move picked it up and ended the game 
unfortunately they didn't have the they didn't think of that so instead they just missed it by like you know half or less of an inch and they had to play on to the next round in like an overtime situation so you know it was the players were probably getting tired but they that's something that should have been considered is all i'm saying and and that's that's a big play in the middle of the game and maybe you just thought oh i got this in the bag but that that goes into what i was saying about try to think of worst case scenarios but also just on the very common maneuvers the maybe what seems unimportant uh give it a little bit more extra thought yeah uh so this is like another example just real quick to hit on it is our game reference that game again um with my black dwarf move beginning i moved all the way up to his movement when i should have stopped short of the building and it could have kept you from pulling him in and just demolishing him right away at the beginning of round one so it's like not being lazy uh or actually rather being lazy almost punishes you because you're not getting the maximum effectiveness out of your characters as well as you're providing your opponent with opportunities to take advantage of your laziness and I think something that uh, can help with this and help with the general game state is to communicate with your opponent. So stating your intentions, I'm placing this within range one of this objective marker. I'm placing this character so that they're outside of range three and using, as well as using the range rulers, being really explicit with that. And that, that, that ties in with that nicely. Yeah. And that actually ties into the next tip, which is double check if you've missed anything before jumping to the next action or turn. You know, um, it. How many times have you or someone you played against said, "Oh wait, hold on," you know, I'm going to use this tactics card uh, at the end of my turn, even though they already said they were done. Um, and I, I mean, most people are usually pretty nice about it, and and I personally just kind of have a like a I'll give it to you once kind of rule where, you know what, no problem. Uh, you know. It's an honest mistake, you, you know, or you're trying to play a little fast and try to keep the game fast. And, you know, in that regard, maybe it's okay, you know, you, you, and not to mention, usually I'm okay with it if I haven't even done anything yet, right? If I haven't even moved or measured or done anything, and then my opponent mentions, like, oops, I forgot this one little thing. Um, you know, that that's fine. But you should try to get in habits and try to consciously stop yourself. And your instinct might be, okay, I'm done. You know, but pause and say, hold on, let me just double check. Did I miss anything? And check those tactics cards, check your abilities, check that maybe make sure to give your character power after you hit somebody. Or maybe you're so excited that you dazed someone that you forgot to like give yourself power. And uh, or even I've seen people forget to pick up extracts like they, they knock someone or whatever and or checking to see if the opponent was even holding an extract. I mean, you, this, the list goes on, but just. Take a minute and think about what you're doing, and then when you think, okay, yeah, I checked all my boxes, and then, you know, then you pass to the opponent. Yeah, but even within an activation, after an action, I've been caught out before by going, okay, well, I'm going to play, I'm going to move up, I'm going to play patch up, and then I'm going to move over there uh, and make this attack or you know, whatever. Um, and forgetting that important stage in the middle where i've so caught up in my plan that i forget to do the middle step of it so can happen yeah yeah sure uh jacob um, no, so a few from me um 
if you're playing in the Asgardian affiliation, it can sometimes be difficult to, to remember who's used their leadership because their leadership is a once per round uh, per character. So uh, a good little tip there is get the Asgard tokens and either put them on their card and then take it off when they've spent it or put it just near their card and put it on their card once they've used the Asgardian leadership and then remember to reset that uh, during each of the cleanup phases. That way uh, you've got a, 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 a source of, you know, objective remembrance of what's happened. Uh, it's, it's a physical memory there of, okay, Loki has used the Asgardian leadership, but Thor hasn't. And I can see that because Loki has a token on him and Thor doesn't. So I think that's, that's just a really simple thing if you're playing Asgard. I hear they might be getting popular soon. <laughs> I could add to that real quick. Um... We've kind of mentioned in a previous episode about um, just little tricks for remembering things. It's possible, it might be a good idea to get a pile of Asgard tokens and just throw them on top of like your movement and range rulers. Just if, if you really, really don't want to forget. Or I, I'm the kind of person, I, do, I try to do a lot of my thinking on my opponent's turns. And at some point in my opponent's turn, I probably thought, hmm, this, uh, this stagger token or whatever, or this character needs one health and i really don't want to forget it and i'm thinking about that during my opponent's turn and then so at that moment i would think oh let's put some tokens on top of my templates or i don't know put a couple in your hand or something some way that once it's your turn you don't forget because i've played a lot of games where i get kind of almost bored waiting for my opponent to finish and then when they say you know your go i get so excited i just move into doing something <laughs> And then, oh no, my Asgard token. And then you're kind of hoping your opponent's going to be nice to you and let you do it, you know? So try to stop yourself, you know, kind of on point with my earlier discussion. But, you know, I think I would try to like do that. I've done that in other games where I would put little tokens as reminders on top of things or in the way of things that I'm, I'm planning on using to kind of, uh, you know, give me a hint. Like, hey, before you move medium, make sure to say something about this token, you know? So tying in with that, when we're talking about physically marking things, uh, if you're playing, another tip, if you're playing tactics cards, like uh, Disarm is one that's doing the rounds at the minute, or um, Doom Prophecy, that have effects that persist on a map that aren't marked by other tokens, so something like Trip Up, for example, you wouldn't need to do this, but if they've got an effect that carries on going throughout the course of a round or for the rest of the game, put the card on the table near the character that is being affected so put it by the disarmed character or put it next to the doomed character so that it's just a little reminder whenever anyone looks at them that character has been doomed or you, and you remember and that factors into your decision making tree as well hey so jacob actually in my last game i did this for the first time my opponent was playing rocket boots i took rocket boots and put it on the turn counter so we couldn't move to the next turn without remembering rocket boots that's one that I think people forget a lot. Yeah. Another great example. And that's a very popular card at the minute. Um, and th this kind of ties in with a lot of the things we're going to be saying. Uh, but if you're playing in a competitive game, so you're playing in a, in a real life tournament or you're playing on the CTS League, if, if, you, if, if it's something's in doubt or if it really matters, call a judge. I have a very low threshold for calling a judge. Um, recently in a, in a tournament, uh, I, I was calling a judge like every five seconds. I was like, can you check 
does this push work? You know, looking at where these pieces are placed in this terrain, does this line work? And um, just it was quicker and easier because the judge was nearby, just call the judge and, and just get a simple ruling because I could see they were tight. It's not that it was obvious and I was being an ass, but just look. And if it's something, if it's a, if it's a coin flip call, just get a judge to do it. Just go straight to a judge rather than debating backwards and forwards with your opponent. And uh, th that shouldn't be something that you should see as a negative thing that's helping to speed up the game i think yeah I, I, um, I do the same thing in all the games i play um i've learned this from magic the gathering where judge calling is extremely common and considered very normal and then i've come to tabletop games where it's very taboo and i always it was a weird cultural shock for me and I, some people can feel um, it almost can hurt their feelings when you call a judge on them and that's not supposed to be the intention Mm -hmm. And for people listening, uh, and I think what Jacob's saying is, no, that's not a taboo, and you should do it. The way I look at it is, if the conversation is feeling even remotely confrontational, immediately call a judge. Usually that is because you say, this is my opinion of what I see, and then your opponent says, no, this is my opinion, which differs from yours. And then at that point, I'm almost always thinking to, to call the judge. I, I don't want to ever be arguing with my opponent. Yeah, and then it, there's like it creates a like it almost makes the game not so fun when you have to have those arguments. When it's like if you just go to the hey judge, can you come look at this real quick? Um, number one, it, it puts the decision on someone else's shoulders. So I mean, you don't have any hard feelings towards each other. Uh, but it's like it's that judge is there, the person that your TO or whatever may be. Um, like it's another set of eyes who have an unbiased opinion on that game, and it's gonna be the most fair ruling uh, that's what they're there for um and it, again i agree completely is there shouldn't be any taboo with it it should be if you feel like you need a judge for any conversation or rule clarification or just to make sure something looks kosher then just don't be afraid to call a judge so another one for me will be knowing and truly understanding the crisis at hand i have been an offender of this one where i'll be playing and then forget something simple like with the creek core you only get one movement action. Uh, some of these scenarios really add on to what you can and can't do while you're holding or contesting an objective. So be sure to understand these aspects as well, because a lot of like the little nuances to each scenario get kind of forgotten about, um, especially with a bunch of new ones we got coming out. There's going to be different themes getting added, and then our list of crises is to keep growing and growing and growing. So it's going to be harder and harder to remember like what exactly does Creecore do again. Um, so like something that kind of like a little tip on this one would be maybe make a cheat sheet for yourself. Like, okay, I have Creek core. What's the specifics to Creek core? Um, it's you got to roll this to pick it up and then you can only move once and then you take a damage if you don't attack. Cool. So like make a little cheat sheet. I'm, I'm going to be doing this myself just because of how many like scenarios we have coming out. Just having a nice little cheat sheet that tells me all of what the scenarios do and how they affect the game overall. Right. Yeah, I think one that gets missed a lot is um, rolling skulls on meteors. Uh, that damages you if you get at least one skull. So just, again, it's one of those little things that's easy to overlook, but it can really impact your gameplay when you put that character who's only got one stamina left and tries to flip a, a meteor. This is definitely something that's going to become more common too once we keep getting more and more and more objectives. I know I personally have, I, I've like this pile of objectives I've played a million times and then a bunch I've played like, you know, three times, you know, and I don't know that that's ever going to be avoidable. And even if you, let's say, are super experienced and played everything now, that doesn't mean 
when all the new stuff comes out, maybe you don't buy that set or you just don't have, you don't find a reason to play it because you don't like that objective. So it's going to definitely be important to, to come up with little ways to remember these things coming up into the future because, man, I could just picture in another year we'll have a ton more. So super important. All right. So huh, it, my, my next tip here is at the end of the game, see if you missed using any of your tactics cards and don't allow yourself to save tactics cards and then not use them at all. Uh, part of this is just flat out, like maybe you're just playing a tactics card that's not very good. And maybe it's sort of your pet or your favorite or you think it's going to be really cool and then it just keeps disappointing you. Uh, that's definitely something to evaluate. Uh, however, another thing that is just... I I've watched games where people flat out just have like four or five tactics cards at the end of their game. They they just... Maybe just they felt a little overwhelmed and they just forgot they were there. Um, so, you know, thinking at the end, like, oh man, look at all these tactics cards. I didn't use any of them. And it also reminds me, this might seem like a huge random story, but when I used to play in a competitive team for first-person shooters, we used to have these grenades. Then every time you spawned, you'd have grenades. And I, we used to have, like, this coach. And if, like, I, I, this was years ago. And to this day, the one thing I remember the most about this guy was yelling at people if they didn't use their grenades. And, and it just stuck with me forever. Because it's like, why are you saving them? If you die with them, then they were unused. It's an unused resource. And your tactic cards are the same way. Like, you know, people might get overly cute with, say, Brace for Impact or Field Dressing. And then all of a sudden, the next thing they know, all their characters are dazed and Field Dressing is not very good. Or, you know, maybe there isn't enough terrain to keep throwing around. And, you know, what, what did you do with your Brace for Impact? And, and so... Those are two very common cards. I'm sure there's a million other examples, but basically don't try to get too cute. You know, you got to use those tactics cards. You want to be the guy who used all of his tactic cards and your opponent used maybe like two or three. Do you guys agree with that? Yeah, completely. Um, a, a big offender for me is Wakanda Forever. You're always thinking, is this the best turn I could get Wakanda Forever? Um, and Omnus actually has a good rule of thumb, which is if you can get two victory points with Wakanda Forever, then use it. Yeah, um, so for me, it kind of relates to uh, something I look at with work specifically is if I have something in my kit that I don't use like frequently or often, like let's say I play three games and two out of the three games, I don't find an opportunity to use, let's say all you've got. I didn't like it didn't come up or it didn't do that or actually a better example is well-laid plans. This is something I'm coming across right now is like two out of three games. I brought well-laid plans. It didn't come up for an opportunity to use it or something happened where I couldn't use it. So like statistically speaking, I don't use that card. So swap it out for something I'm going to use like brace for impact, which wasn't in my list before. Um, so if it's something that you find yourself that you keep taking and not using, swap it out for something you're actually going to use. Cool. Uh, a few from me then, uh, this applies more as we come out of COVID hopefully, uh, and start playing real-life tournaments again. But uh, the importance of hydration and blood sugar level. Uh, always make sure you're getting plenty of water. If you're playing like a, a four-round tournament, then you know you need to make sure you're bringing a water bottle with you and that you're keeping up your blood sugar level. 
particularly you know, game three and, and game four, you can really start making bad decisions because you're not hydrated and your blood sugars are dropping a bit and you just make mistakes and you lose games, not because you're a bad player or you, you got outplayed, but just because you made a mistake because you weren't looking after yourself. So yeah, take a water bottle, take some, some little chocolate bars, candy bars, um, and yeah, keep up those, those two really key things. Do you guys have any experiences with like maybe your favorite snack or how you transport them? <laughs> anything that's personal with you in the, in that environment? Uh, I just, normally I'll take a water bottle and I, I like, I like candy. So I'll take candy with me just for that sugar um, or trail mix. Trail mix is always a good option as well. Cause it's a little bag that you can have in your pocket or your bag or whatever. Um, and it's, it's, it's delicious. Uh, one that my dad put me on to when I was quite young was dried bananas. Mm. Dried, uh, like they look weird, like sort of uh, half rotten brown sausages is the best <laughs> way to describe. Really selling them, um, but they are they're kind of chewy, which is good, uh, and they've got all of the electrolytes inside a banana. Um, but it's much lower volume, so it's easier to eat. Yeah, plus they're super cheap, and you can make it yourself at home really easily. I personally usually buy some of those like we those bar things that they sell that I don't know they're energy bars I suppose, um, yeah I I don't know what they're actually supposed to be used for but I do know that like chess players have done studies where they burn absurd amounts of calories in a day and this is basically a very similar thing where maybe you're standing a lot and it's a lot of mental uh, power and your mind apparently uses a lot of calories. Uh, the one trick I've learned that actually I started using for one of my first major tournament wins was my father does long distance bike riding. And apparently they sell like these energy drink like fluids that you it's like a powder that you put into a water, drip drop. Uh, you know, because the bicyclists put the water on their bike. Right. Mm -hmm. So you dump it in there. And then he, he just told me he's like, all right, just make sure you only take like a sip. And I forget, I think he said like every 20 minutes or something, but don't like guzzle it. Don't drink it. You know, you just take like a sip and you put it away. And I did that. And man, I'll tell you, I had so much energy that whole day. And I, it was a, for sure, two day tournament. I might've been a three day tournament, but um, I, I felt great. I, my body was sore, but mentally i felt very alert and I, I was like man this is my new trick like any major event i'm gonna use this maybe not for like a smaller thing but really depends on how much time and energy you plan on consuming uh, but i definitely bring water my other favorite little trick and I, I don't think there's any like super science behind this but what i like to do is i bring a can of coke with me because i like coca-cola and i will not drink it until the final round i leave it the whole day and when it's the final round, I pull it out and half a reward and partially, partially just to give me a little boost. And that's been like a little habit of mine. Well, I mean, like along with like this topic that we're going on um, and kind of coinciding with that is you, you go to these tournaments, you see a lot of people like downing caffeine and that is not what you want to be doing. Um, right. <laughs> it's, it's actually you want to be drinking more water than the caffeine. Um, like a little bit of caffeine isn't going to be bad, but if you're going to a tournament and it's like three to four rounds in one day and you're downing two to three energy drinks or something like that, that is the last thing you want because it's, you're going to have some really hard crashes. Your mental capacity is not going to be where you want it to be. Um, the caffeine's actually hurting you more than helping you when it comes down to that. Yeah, that's why I save it to the end. And I do drink like only water 
and, and the the drink thing I mentioned was more uh, recent, but um, yeah, I do, I stick to water and then the the soda at the end, the very end. Uh, not yeah, normally I'm drinking water, but you know if you lose the first round and they serve beer, well, <laughs> why not? <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Uh, okay, another one uh, which I think we've all fallen parallel of at some point is uh, not keeping track, not just of how many victory points you expect to be scoring, but how many victory points your opponent is going to be scoring. Um, I, I know, Sploosh, do you want to talk a bit about this one? <laughs> wow, man, rub it in. Uh, <laughs> I lost in the finals last season uh, because I basically didn't bother to count how many VP that Pat would uh, score on me. And I just didn't think it was possible to score 10 in one round. Uh, and I was so caught up in knowing I would win the next round that I kind of just forgot to make sure. Which is the don't be lazy. That one just keeps coming back, doesn't it? Uh, so yeah, I agree with this entirely. And I definitely try to learn from my mistakes and will hopefully not let that happen again. Yeah, so one last uh, little tip we're going to give for you guys today. And this is kind of a really important one is take your bag before you go to an event like the night before you go make sure you have all of your measuring tools the tokens you're going to need the cards you're going to need uh, just everything that you're going to need and planning on taking to that event because the worst thing that can happen is you show up you drove an hour plus sometimes and you realize you forgot something this happens all the time and that's like one of the best things you could do for yourself is just double check your bag before you go to sleep that night Um, so that's going to wrap us up for our good habits and that we want to share today. So we're going to go on to some listener questions. We're going to begin with a fun one by Omnis himself. Um, if your co-hosts were MCU villains, which ones would they be? Jacob, you want to start us off? Uh, okay. Well, I think uh, that Dizzard, if I had to pick one, I think is the Grandmaster, you know, the Jeff Goldblum from Thor Ragnarok, oh. because he's all about all the fights. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> um, are we volunteering each other? <laughs> um, what, what's up? What's, I, what's, what's Sploosh to you, though? Uh, yeah, well, um, I think we might agree on this one. I think I see Sploosh as kind of the, the Baron Zemo, the, uh, the guy with the plan that's been mapped out and uh, is, yeah, sitting in the background, just sort of, you know, getting a bit bored and like, come on, come on, hurry up and catch the <laughs> soldier. Yeah, Next up of the plan. That's, that's pretty much exactly what I'm thinking. Like, I think of Sploosh as Zemo. It's because, like, especially, like, if you're looking at like, how he plays the game, he's just super calculated with every single one of his movements. Like, you can't play a game against Sploosh to where every single movement is going to have all two measuring tools he can out there and measuring every single possibility that can come up against him. Like, he's a super calculated when it comes down to it. And, I mean, you got to expect that to transfer over to his day-to-day -day thing. So, yeah, I'd, I'd especially say Zemo for Sploosh. Okay, I can't deny it. I'm gonna have to read some Zemo comics. I mean, he's he's the guy with the plan. Like he spends like forever just planning the demise of Captain America over and over again. It always fails, but he's just a very calculated <laughs> dude. Um, so what, what do you got? <laughs> Questions MCU villains, isn't it? So Marvel Cinematic Universe. That's true, but I mean, even in the Winter Soldier movie, that's that's how he is. Like he's behind the shadows pretty much the whole entire movie. Like he's up in the front sometimes, but he's pulling the puppet strings of everything is super calculated and uh, planning out different results he can get with his plan. 
Uh, he's just a super thought out and calculated individual. Well, uh, I, uh, I'm just going to throw this out there, but it, can we make Jacob Ultron? <laughs> uh, I I put him as uh, Ronan because he's always accusing us of saying the same thing over and over again during the podcast. <laughs> True. Probably people don't realize he's doing that too. <laughs> Uh, that is a thing I can confirm happens, but, uh, you know, I was actually asked, um, what, uh, characters, what Avengers you guys would be, uh, on a different podcast, which will go out. It was an ominous podcast. If people want to hear that this week coming up, but, uh, you know, uh, I I'll spoil Jacobs. I'll leave everybody else. But I, I said, Jacob was Jarvis and, guess, uh, yeah. <laughs> it just seems funny to me because I see, Ultron, at least from the movies, is kind of like the anti-Jarvis. So I figure, you know what, he might as well just be, you know, two sides of the same coin. Fair enough. When I decide to take the power and use it for evil. (laughs) Inevitable. Right. Uh, So how are we going to move on from that one? Yeah, we can. Uh, Let me write one time real quick. All right. Um, so next question from from Jonah on Discord, and that is, what advice would you give to people starting out now? And then if you were starting out now, but with the knowledge you have, would you do anything differently? Like your play style, things you purchase, et cetera, et cetera. Do you guys have any regrets on purchases? No, I have none. I, I want to buy every model for this game because I think they're amazing models. That's how I am. So models are great and i really enjoy the hobby side so no no, no regrets on any purchases um i do in terms have of one, what do i think but but it's a it's a it's like asterisk because if i had one purchase i feel like was completely useless to me at this point it was probably dwarf and maw ebony maw um both characters have been a little bit of duds i, I do feel like dwarf gets a little extra hate but right now he's been a little homeless um they they don't really carry any tactics cards or anything interesting other than the characters i just finished painting dwarf and he was really fun to paint so like directly on fun to paint uh both characters are cool and the reason i bought them is i think ma was really cool in the movies and i wanted him to be cool in this game but if i had to name anything that i was kind of eh, um who did ronin come with drax yeah, Drax yeah, and Ronan. I was not. Yeah, in love with you, you can't. You can't drop that in there and then walk away. From <laughs> oh. You think what? that anymore didn't come with a good tactics card? Is that what you just said? No, no, no. The shush thing is amazing. Sure, but only if you're playing Ebony Ma, which at this point I'm not going to, and, and I don't see that <laughs> okay, ever happening. I had to challenge you there. You just saying that Ebony Moore came with no good tactics cards. I'm just like, there are people like, shouting at their at their devices right now. If I'm never playing Ebony Ma though, then like, what's the point? You know, it's not like Shush works for everybody. You know, it's not sure. unaffiliated. Sure, but it, it I, I, yeah, that that is a strong card, and you can leverage that to win a game. Yeah, it's just I. Well, we we don't need to argue over Ebony Mo's viability, <laughs> but I think Pat and I put him at like the lowest tier. It was like E or something. I mean, he's low. Um, and hey, man, if somebody believes Ebony Mo's like the next big thing, prove it, and I'll be happy to be wrong. And and I own a nicely painted one, so I'll plop him in. But so so uh, I think um just. I think advice given to people starting out now is you're at the point of this game where you can pretty much play what you want and still be competitive uh, if you were looking at that aspect. But 
Like, like I think there's just, there's so many options now compared to when I first got into the game, which is at the very start where you had ten characters or twelve rather. Um, so it's like you have so many options now that you can almost like pick and choose who you want to play. And if you're going that route, like a budget friendly, you could really just like I really want to play Guardians, so that you could really just buy that and still be on a competitive side of things um, for all intents and purposes. So yeah, that's that's my big advice is play what you want and have fun with it. Well, I always yeah. tell people to buy Thor and Valkyrie. They come <laughs> in the same pack. And and I always tell people to buy Okoye and Shuri. Um, maybe if you're just someone who wants to play the characters only that you think are cool. And I was there once, believe me. I, I Originally, I thought this game was kind of like a side game for me. So I was very careful with what I bought early on. Uh, and I've since pretty much bought everything. But... That being said, there are definitely a few kits that are just bursting with value. I mean, I don't want to get too derailed, but like the Valk Thor comes with the cool crisis card, the hammers, right? And then Valkyrie's pretty much played in like every single list ever for eternity. And Thor's also ex really good. And the thing about it is, once you buy that pack, it's kind of like, well, now I can play as Guardians. And you're going to have Angela coming out soon. Uh, I believe Enchantress will also be an Asgardian. And and you could totally just buy that pack and you're in an Asgardian system. Or you could buy the obvious Hela and Loki, which are also really cool characters. Um, so that's a thing. You know, and then you have Asgardians like immediately. And Asgardians are also really cool to add into maybe a dual affiliation roster. So maybe you really love like um Dizzard was saying, maybe you really love Avengers, but you only love like seven Avengers. Well, throw in like three Asgardians in your set. And Asgardians are really fun to play and not too needy. So um yeah, that would be my advice for things to buy. I don't know, on that line of thought. Do you guys is there something I missed there? Yeah, I think I generally upweight things that come with uh with new crisis cards. I think that what you're buying there is you're buying an expansion to the game. You you can take the things you've already got and play even Without adding a new character, you can play the characters you've already got and play them in experience them in a different way. So always keep an eye out for which packs come with those crisis cards. As, as general good advice, though, um, I hear there's a really good blog about Marvel Crisis Protocol <laughs> you could check out. Uh, Xavier-Protocols.com, been a while since I plugged it, but go and have a look. Uh, there's even, I've got a section of articles up there, the Xavier Institute, which is specifically aimed at newer players. So have a look at some of those, start getting your head around maybe the maths, some of the some of the uh, key ideas, uh, rules, things. Have a look there. There's there's some good stuff there. You yeah. could join our Discord or many others. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of nice people out there that are willing to explain things to you. There is an official, well, as official as things get, Marvel Discord. And, you know, some of the developers hang out in these Discords. So they're watching if you have thoughts or whatever and... You know, don't go there with the intention of trying to hunt down a, de a developer because that's not cool. But um, it's definitely a community and they're involved and it's fun to be around and you'll learn a lot. I've seen people get advice literally daily on these Discord channels. All right. So we're gonna... Jacob's blog is also cool. Yeah, Jacob's, <laughs> Jacob's blog is actually a really good resource. I can second that. Um, so our next question is from Kenny. Who are your top three favorite characters in the game? Um, so I'll start off, I'll say Spider-Gwen, uh, Green Goblin, and I don't know why, but I really, really like Star-Lord. 
Uh, probably just because of the model. So yeah, um, Green Goblin's number one though for me. Okay, any reasons on those? Uh, I just I love I just love so that's what I'll I'll hit on Green Goblin. Um, for me, he's like the most unique character because of how much he changes from healthy to injured. Um, he has almost two different play styles within one game. So you play him basically half the game he plays one way, then the second half of the game he plays a completely different other way. As well as he adds a lot of different um he throws out conditions. I love Incinerate, it's so good. Um and I just I love the model for Green Goblin. It's it's one of my favorites right now that are out. So that's that's my hits on Green Goblin. And then Spider Gwen, I, I'll hit on her too, because it's probably my second favorite is I love her abilities and I love the way she impacts the game. And again, another really cool model, but just a three threat character that has a bunch of um, board state manipulation. And she has like a sneaky high damage output. Like it's almost not like in your face, like relevant on the card, but it is at the same time. Uh, but a lot of people just seem to not really expect the damage output that she can put out. So I think for me, um, my number one favorite is Valkyrie. She just does, she goes in every single affiliation. She plays well with them. Um, so she's nearly always the first name on my team sheet after the uh, affiliation leader that I'm playing. Just just a fantastic. She can punch stuff. She can throw stuff. She's got that two power, which means she's great on you know, grabbing extracts or paying for um, expensive team tactics cards. There's just so many good things you can do with her. Um, second is Black Panther. Uh, I really love how durable he is and his mobility uh, so that he opens up options like going to grab cubes or um, evacuees from the other side of the table and stands a good chance of actually surviving the reprisal. And even if he doesn't, he's got such good ways to spend his power and make that an effective comeback turn after you've dazed him. So he's just a great, great character. Uh, and my third, uh, because I'm in the UK, we got Angela recently uh, and I've converted <laughs> mine with some wings that I had lying around and the Angela model is fantastic. And when you put really cool angel wings on them and paint them up really nicely, yeah, and Angela is now in my top three and I haven't played a single game with her yet. Oh, man. Yeah, I got my Angela in the mail apparently and I'm super excited. She looks so cool. Uh, you did a great job on those wings too. Um, so I was going to say, um, what was it that? Uh, shoot, what was the first, which was the first one you said, Jacob? <laughs> Valkyrie. Valkyrie, yeah, yeah. Uh, Valkyrie is awesome, and I'm glad I find her so awesome. It's almost a little boring at this point to tell you how awesome she is, but I'm gonna cheat and let you just have you described her so well. I'll leave it at that. Um, but for me, also Gwen, I, I, uh, or Ghost Spider, I love calling her Gwen, but yeah, uh, I, I love her too. I agree with everything uh, Dizzard said. However, I'll just add she to me is sort of like the aggressive Shuri. Uh, where instead of pushing people away, she kind of brings them towards her. Uh, and that is really cool as well. And all the other things Dizzard said. Uh, so I'll leave it at that. Very fun character to play. And you feel smart when you do something cool with her. <laughs> um, you know, for example, like you do like move, pull someone towards you, hit them with like a spider technique, and then move again. It just feels like, how did I just do that? That's crazy, you know? Um, and then... Another, an obvious one probably is Modok. Um, Modok 
is one of those things where obviously he's good at killing and everyone knows that. But the ability to like move people around and sometimes you're moving them towards you because you want to help like uh, the team kill someone or you're moving them away almost in a Shuri-esque way to prevent damage incoming. I love the flexibility there. And uh, then I got Baron Zemo. Um, I, I, so I wouldn't have said Baron Zemo if Jacob didn't already say Valkyrie. But uh, th- so Valkyrie having the throw like puts her on the next level and uh, her power gain as well. But Baron's kind of like the other quicker, more nasty version of Valkyrie. I love the fact that with a, a lot of power, he can just do absurd things with the Master Swordsman and then the extra movements from his, uh, his extra like sword power move uh, that gives you the extra medium movement. Uh, Baron's ability to reroll on defense sometimes comes in really clutch, and he's just—I love the just the again flexibility and killing power. He's just like this little missile that can go all over the place. And uh, so to follow up here, so I'm saying um, Gwen, Zemo, and uh, and Modok. Yeah, so those are my three. All right. So next we got another one from Omnis. How would you describe your play style? Start off with Jacob. Um, I, well, I think one of the strengths of this podcast, I think we've got three of us have got very different play styles. Um, I'm always looking for the control option. I want to try and win without making attacks if possible. Uh, that That's my what I, what I really want to do. It's not always possible, but um, some, sometimes it is. You can just go, well, I'm going to make an attack, but I don't care whether I do damage. I just want the, the push effect on it, for example. Wakanda's great for that. Um, but then I'm looking at turning that control into something different in like defenders i've got a very different take on defenders from a lot of people maybe we'll dig into that one time um it's something that i want to try with them but when i'm not someone who's going ah i can do you a million damage and i can KO all your characters um i'd my game plan is to try and win by turn three rather than take all your guys off the board so for me, I guess my play style, I like to think that I'm a reactive player, but in all reality, I'm a very hyper-aggressive uh, play style. Um, I am that person who more than likely overextends on the first move. And I more or less am a, I wouldn't say rely on the dice, but I, I, I like to think on the higher end of the dice odds um, for some reason. I don't know why. I, it it kind of goes in play with like that hyper-aggressive attitude towards playing. Like I like to rush my characters up, and I, like, even in Splush's game, it always hurts me in the end because I, like, I go into a game thinking I'm playing reactive, and the next thing I know, I'm the person who's pushing, and I'm always ended up playing games in the opponent's end of the board for some reason. Um, but that's kind of how I play is more aggressive. Uh, the way I would try to describe my gameplay, I hope that it actually happens on the board, but I like to think of myself as reactive, flexible, and disruptive. Uh, disruptive always reminds me of Magic the Gathering, because I, whenever I would see like these crazy combos, and people are always trying to do something insane, I mean, the equivalent in this game would be someone trying to do like uh, the, the, what is it, Agent Window, Widow and Doom Prophecy something like that, where you're rolling like 8 million dice. My first thought, if I was from coming from Magic, my thought would be, cool, that's cute. Now how do I like make it so that never happens? You know? And I, I think that's always been my approach to any game, is 
I look at what my opponent's trying to do, and then I want to disrupt it. So if they're trying to kill me, I try to make sure they can't do that. If they're trying to do some cute combo, I try to make sure that cute combo won't impact the game enough to matter. That that kind of idea, and that so that nature and that mindset makes you reactive because you're sort of reacting to what they do, and then obviously that you would need to be flexible because you need to be able to have those options, right? So. I definitely look forward to fast-moving characters that can do big things and, um, you know, all the things that is Cabal right now. Uh, so another question we got from Omnis, uh, he, hit us with a bunch, he hit us up with a bunch of them, and that's going to be, if you could add or subtract one rule on one card, what would it be? Uh, mine will be, why isn't Ghost Rider immune to incinerate? Um, that's pretty straightforward for me. Uh, what about you, Sploosh? Uh, I would like to have... I would like to reword uh, Star-Lord's leadership to say that you get six tactic cards instead of five during your games. So you still can only bring eight in a roster, but during the game you get six of them, which would basically give you like a free reroll without impacting the normal five tactic cards. But you could also, um, you know, just use six tactics cards if you don't even want to use their leadership. I think it would make uh, the the rosters or the options more flexible too. I think the the core concept of them is to be sort of winging it, as they say, and to be doing something kind of unexpected, right? So you could bring like that crazy six six card that maybe would only work, you know, uh, two out of three games or one out of three or whatever, and and you know then spend it on winging it or use it because it's really. Uh, I think that would be really thematic to them. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to say I agree with that completely. Because that sixth spot, you could use that for Kuru the Milano or something like that. Um, so Yeah, they I, have the new I, card coming out too. Yeah. I, 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 I would really name. like it if Guardians had six. Um, what about you, Jacob? So my change would be to drop off. Uh, and the change I would make to drop off is I would add the uh, no carrying an extract clause that are on quite a lot of other tactics cards that give extra movement. So um, Hulk Scammer Launch, for example, the character can't be carrying an extract, but you can drop someone off who's carrying an extract, and that just seems a little um, out of out of sync to me. So I would add in that clause, which then also just shaves a tiny bit of power off drop-off, which is one of the more powerful cards in the game as well. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, so our last question for today is going to be from Mark Fielder, and that is, why aren't Jacob and Desert as cool as Sploosh? And I'm just going to say we can't all be Sploosh. Nice. I have no comment. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, well, I, I'm a big member of the Sploosh fan club as well, so, you know, I don't disagree with the questions from us. Well, that wraps it up for this episode of The Danger Room. We hope you enjoyed it and learned something to level up your next game. You can reach out to us on our Discord, Twitter, or Facebook. The links will be in the description. We have a questions channel on our Discord, so feel free to drop us some questions in there and we'll answer them on the show. Thank you for taking the time and listening to us. If you're liking what you hear, leave a rating or comment or even both. We appreciate any feedback to help us grow and become a better group to bring you the best quality content that we can. See you next time in the Danger Room.